Well, let's look to God in prayer. Father, I pray today, tonight, Lord, would you help us understand your ways perhaps more clearly than we ever have in our lives? And may your word speak into our lives, Lord, not me, but your word. May it speak into our lives and do that amazing work of teaching, of rebuking, of correcting, of training in righteousness. So that we, your men and women of God, will be equipped for every good work. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last time I was with you, I started talking about this topic that I've been doing a lot of meditating on called cancers of the soul. Uh, Things that if we don't deal with them, just like a physical cancer doesn't just stay localized, it expands into different areas. If you have uh, a breast cancer and, and you don't deal with it severely, it will actually spread into other parts of your body. Uh, we have a very dear friend who's uh, just tumors are popping up all over the place. And, and, you know, it looks like the Lord is getting ready to call her home. Uh, but you know what? It, it's amazing to see how vicious and horrible in this sin-stained world uh, physical cancer can be. Aren't you glad that when we get to uh, heaven, the former things will be forgotten? We will have bodies that will never get sick, they'll never grow old, and we will never die. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, what a hope we have. So physical cancer is kind of a result of being under the fall. In other words, I, I don't believe if a Christian gets, gets cancer, that's an indication that they're in sin. I, I believe that, that the sicknesses that come to all of us are really just a result of living in this fallen world. Now, there are times when God punishes us with sickness. But there are also times when God takes us through these trials so that we can bring glory to God with our response to those things. But you know what? Spiritual cancer, there's something we can do about that. We talked about the cancer of anger and bitterness that that if you allow that to exist in your life, it will just radiate out to all areas of your life and it will actually not only bring decay and spoil to your own, rela- your own life, but to your relationships as well. We talked about the cancer of regret. Of people, many people who just cannot seem to let go of the past. And their past keeps controlling their present. We talked about the, the cancer of anxiety. If regret is our primary sin with the past, anxiety is our primary sin with regard to the future. Where rather than looking to the future with faith, we look to the future with fear. And and many times, we don't even know what we're afraid of. We're we're just afraid. When you look at our nation and you see all of the anti-anxiety medications that are being uh, prescribed, now even to children 
under 10, 11, 12 years old that are so fearful that they feel like they need to be treated with medication in order to control that fear. It's tragic. But tonight, I want to talk about the spiritual antioxidants. The things that you can build into your life that will battle and overcome that cancer. And what I want to do, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, but first, just jump over to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. We referred to this last week when we were talking about getting rid of regret and, and also actually overcoming anxiety. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. This is the apostle Paul talking, and he's saying, hey, I haven't made it yet. But I press on. That means I'm, I'm putting everything I can towards making progress so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ, by Christ Jesus. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute. If I were to ask the question of myself, hey, what was I laid hold of? For what purpose by Christ Jesus? And you might look at me, oh, Steve, it's easy for you. Christ laid hold of you to be a pastor. Christ laid hold of you to be a missionary. Wrong. Christ laid hold of me for exactly the same purpose that he laid hold of you for. And it has nothing to do with where you live it has nothing to do with what you do for an occupation. It has nothing to do with who you marry or what you, your kids you have. Nothing like that. If you want to know what Jesus Christ laid hold of you for, what your destiny is, we find that right down Romans 8, 28 through 30. I'll just quote it for you. We won't take time. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, God's going to tell us his purpose. Yes. For those whom he loved. No, those he foreknew. Let's see it. Nah. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. We hate that word predestination, but this is really cool. In other words, God set our destiny in advance. And what is our destiny? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Listen, catch this, because this is why Jesus laid hold of you. To become conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. You guys, what Paul was talking about was not a destination, i.e. a place, a geographical place. It wasn't a career. It was who he was becoming. And I want to tell you something. In my personal perspective, as I've looked at God's word, the most important thing about you is not what you're doing for a living, but it's who you're becoming as a child of God. If you get that right, literally everything else in your life will fall into place 
as far as what God has in store for you. Your relationships, your ministry, your career, where you should live, everything else will flow naturally if you are pursuing becoming the person that God wants you to become. All the way back when I was 16, I memorized a passage of Scripture that has changed my life and has continued to change my life. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And I want to stand as we go through this. I'm going to see if I can remember this. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to quote it to you, all right? So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll be doing it in the New American Standard, which is what I memorized it in all those years ago. Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness in the knowledge, ooh, through the knowledge of God and, oh, no, 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 of, oh, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Okay, I ran out of my memory here. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. May God add his reading, blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I've got a little work to do on that one. I've got to review that one. A couple of principles by way of introduction. I have found that most of my problems in life are self-induced or they are self-enhanced. Let me repeat that. I find that most of the problems in my life are self-induced. In other words, I bring them on myself and primarily what I'm going to be challenging you with is the fact that I bring them on myself because of a lack or flaw in my character. Or... I take a situation that is difficult because we do have trials that come on us, right? And I make it worse by my wrong response. 
Again, coming back to a lack of character. Let me give you an illustration. um, Let's say there's a brother or sister in Christ that is going in a way that, you know, the Lord has laid on my heart. Man, Steve, you've got to... You've got to talk to them. You've got to confront them. But I fear them. Not fear in the sense that I'm afraid of them, but I fear them in the sense, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. What if they respond badly to what I say? And I let all of the reasons why I shouldn't do that. And and basically it comes down to a lack of integrity on my part that I'm more interested in pleasing people than I am in pleasing God. Well, that flaw in my character will make a bad situation worse by my inactivity. Or let's say I have a lack of self-control and so anger explodes out of me from time to time. I bring on situations, again, through my lack of character. People of God, this passage creates a roadmap for your life. It will help you understand how God wants you to develop for the rest of your life. If you're a parent, This passage gives you a roadmap for raising your children. Because it takes it out of the spectrum of rules and, oh, you should do this because I said so, blah, blah, blah. And it puts it in the spectrum of this is the journey that Jesus has us on. So I want to run this through with you and I want to just take you through this passage to help you understand how important this is, and how we actually go about pressing on to lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of by Christ. So first of all, we look at verses 2 through 4. That tells us that God has already done his part. (coughs) Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The first thing that God has done is he has given you, now catch this, an infinite supply of his grace and his peace. And that's why Peter says, I want your experience of God's grace and peace to be multiplied for every day that you live for the rest of your life. In other words, tomorrow morning, I want you to experience more of God's provision in your life, more of God's strength, more of God's peace than you did today. And on Friday, I want you to experience even more. Could, could you imagine if you woke up every day realizing, wow, I have an infinite supply of God's grace. I have an infinite supply of God's peace. But there's a problem. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, here's, here's where the rub comes. If you could picture up on the hill this magnificent lake, cool, clear, refreshing water. And you're down in the valley and you're in the middle of a drought 
Your ground is baking. You're dying of thirst. Your animals are dying. How do you get that water? You have to build something to connect the source to you. That connection is the knowledge, the personal experiential experiential knowledge of God and of his son, Jesus. Now, here's what Peter's saying. You are going to experience a multiplication of God's grace. You are going to experience a multiplication of God's peace in your heart as you grow in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, his son. So the first thing God has done, we're, we're going to have to move quickly here, but I think you'll get the, the second thing God has done is in verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The second thing that God has already done is he has already given you everything you need for whatever life will throw at you. Tomorrow, you don't see. Do you see what this would do to anxiety if you really believe this? Tomorrow morning, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I could get in a car crash. Man, I just saw one on the 101. Have you noticed how around 23 there are car crashes going on? All the, I, there was a terrible one. I, I prayed for the people as it went past because I'm certain somebody was killed in that car crash because it was just, and that could happen to us, right? And I've met people who are actually terrified to drive. Now, I might get in a crash. There are people who are afraid to fly. There are people who are afraid to go in public places. There are people who are afraid of spiders. By the way, you really should watch that old movie, Arachnophobia. That, <laughs> if you weren't afraid of spiders before, you'll be afraid of spiders after watching that movie. It's a great movie. But isn't it funny how we have all of these phobias just exploding in our society? But what if you woke up tomorrow and you realized, wow, no matter what life throws at me today, God has already given me everything I need for life. Everything. And not only life, but godliness. What does that mean? Not only has God given you everything you need to live, but he's also given you everything you need to respond to life in a godly way. So tomorrow morning, the moment you woke up, wake up, you already have everything you need to live that day and to live that day in a godly way. But here's the catch. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So why do some Christians seem to have this abundance of grace and peace and this provision of God and other Christians don't? It's because some Christians are drawing closer to God every day and some Christians are just gradually straying away from that personal, intimate relationship with God. Number four, number three, what else has he given us? Verse four, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now, let's do a quickie check. Who can think of a promise of God? Raise your hand. What is it? Okay. Uh, 
whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise of God. Yeah. Oh, the, God will give us the peace that passes even our understanding, right? What else? Oh, man. Is that a great one? Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah. Oh, by his stripes we are healed. What else? Come on, you know more of the promises than, yeah. Ah, in this world. If you want to sing every promise in the book is mine, you need to say, oh, the promise is in this world you will have tribulation. We don't claim that one very often, do we? But you know what it, what's so great about that promise is when I do hit pr- tribulation, I'm not going through something weird. It's exactly what Jesus said. But he has overcome the world. What else? The Lord is a warrior. He will fight. In fact, there's the Psalms that says he will go before us and he will go behind us. He fights for us. Come on, you can do better than this. I know you know these. The promise of answered prayer. Awesome. Mmm. That will keep him in perfect peace whose might is stayed on you. I mean, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. There is no test that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will never allow you to be tested beyond what you're able to bear, but with the test will provide a way of escape that you can endure it. Anybody know the reference of that one? 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Probably my favorite promise in the whole Bible. You guys, the Bible is filled with God's precious and magnificent promises. And if you're not doing this, uh, number one, let me just give you my biases, okay? This is not biblical. This is stevical, okay? But if you want to grow in this complicated society, you have to journal. You have to keep a journal of what you're learning from God, what you're experiencing in life, what your prayer... And one of the parts of the journal that I love to keep is a promise journal. Every time I hit a promise, I write it down on my promise page. And it's so cool to to know these precious, magnificent promises. Now, why did God give us these precious and magnificent promises? Look at this. So that by them, you may become partakers or partners or participants in the divine nature. Now catch this. Romans 8.29 says that our destiny is to become conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the divine nature. Peter is saying that these promises were given so that we might become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, the promises of God are designed to help you move along the path of becoming like Jesus, to help you find your destiny. And then the other part having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I wish I would have had time to to bring it, but uh, I found two pictures that tell me what corruption is. One is of a brand new 67 Chevy Camaro in the showroom. I mean, it looks so cool. I'd buy it today. I mean, it is, it's got that little uh, stripe around the nose. It's just gorgeous. And then I saw a second picture of another 67 Camaro today. 
rust all through the thing, tires, the wheels were actually crooked, the hood is sprung. I mean, the thing looked like it was, well, it was in a trash heap. That's why it looked that way. But, you know, corruption is the way of the world. And my simple definition of corruption is the wheels falling off the wagon. Okay. Everything in this world is corrupting. Do you, do you notice how our, our nation is corrupting? Do you see that? I mean, the, the things that that we once believed in, the things that once formed the fiber of our society are falling apart. Down to the very definition of what is a family. England has done this. We, England has now approved three parent families. Well, you talk about how to mess up a kid real quick. I, I, this is, it's just going nuts. You know, it was fascinating. Uh, The number two man in China, he's their economic advisor. We believe that he's a believer. And he came to America and lectured American businessmen. And he said, the reason capitalism worked, and he used it in the past tense with America, is because you were a Christian nation. So a member of the Communist Party of China is lecturing America about the fact that we've lost our Christian values and that's why capitalism doesn't work anymore. See, capitalism doesn't work if we don't have a moral compass. If I'm, if I'm a businessman and I don't care about cheating you, it's not going to work anymore. But there was a day when, when people did the right thing because it was the right thing. And you guys, Jesus wants you to escape that corruption. The world is on a downhill path, and Jesus' path is uphill to where your character is not becoming more and more flawed because of the world around you. Your character is actually becoming stronger and stronger because of the precious and magnificent promises. So that's what God has done. I would love to spend a whole message just on two through four, but we're going to move on because... I want you to understand how we need to partner with this. The second part of tonight is that everything you're going to do starts with this ugly little word called diligence. Actually, I love the word. Um, Peter in verse 5 says, Now for this very reason, since God has done all this stuff, we can just let go and let God. (sighs) We can just kind of Get in that Holy Spirit sled and ride it to heaven with reclining bucket seats. And man, it, it's, you know, you know, I know what people mean sometimes when they say, let go and let God. But I want you to, there's some bad thinking there. Because your growth in Christ is not let go and let God. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. And that's why after all God has done, Peter says, now for this very reason, applying all diligence. In other words, guys, it's time for us to get in gear and work our fannies off. Don't quote me. 
Now, let me just give you a little thing about diligence. I, I love this. Diligence means... Um, exertion of body and mind without undue delay and sloth. You know what sloth is? Laziness. That comes from the Webster 1828 version of the dictionary. I don't know if you know, but Webster was a Christian, a strong Christian, and he actually illustrates most of his words with biblical references. So if you ever want a cool little device, you can get it on any phone Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And it will give you a a view on the English language like you've never understood. It's so cool. But what's even cooler about the word diligence is where it came from. Diligence came from a Middle English word which came from the Latin, two words, dilegere, which means to esteem highly. To esteem highly. Now think for a minute of the relationship between esteeming highly and working hard. And I'll give you a simple illustration. A lot of men will say, you know, Steve, you're always talking about memorizing scripture. I can't memorize scripture. I can't remember, you know, anything. And yet you talk to that same guy about baseball and he will be able to quote the batting averages of everybody on the team you know, what their slugging percentage is, what they did the last four times. You know, why can he remember that stuff so well, but he says, I can't memorize scripture? Guess which one he esteems highly. And this is where, do you remember yesterday, last time I was here, I said the, the greatest problem among Christians is we lie to ourselves, we lie to God, and we lie to each other. And this is where when people say, I don't have time to study God's word. There's a part of me that just wants to scream to the top of my lungs, liar! Because that is absolutely flatly not true, isn't it? Is there a person on the face of the earth who doesn't have time to read and study God's word? No! There is not a person on this earth who doesn't have time to devote quality time to read and study God's word. The problem is we esteem other things more highly than we do God's word. To put it simply, in the final analysis, you do what you want to do. You do what you want to do. And this, this sounds negative, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm really harping on you. I'm kind of a mean guy tonight. Now, this is actually the greatest revelation if you can internalize this and say, oh. So rather than saying, I don't have time to read and study God's word, I need to say to God, God, I really don't care about your word. Now, you start saying that to God. And God's going to start opening your heart. Because pretty soon you'll be saying that with tears. God, I am dry and I don't care about your word. Because that's what we get into is those, those see, 
And I hate to say that, I've been there, you guys. I've been in those periods of spiritual dryness where God's word feels like stuff that's crumbling up in my hands. It's just, it doesn't do it for me. Now, here's the tough thing about diligence. When you're straying away from God, your diligence to do the things that will get you back with God dwindle. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So you're kind of in a downward spiral that takes a decision to do something, catch this, that you don't feel like doing. Okay, when you're breaking a pattern, when you're, when you're moving away from God, you have to say, whoa, I know I don't feel like getting into God's word, but I'm going to do it. I was there, forgive me for, you know, my sinfulness, but I'm a sinful human being. Two weeks ago, I was right there. And so I just started reading the Gospel of John. And I wasn't going to stop until God spoke to me. And I mean, it took five or six chapters. But God broke that spirit of dryness in me. And you know what? the desire that produces the diligence started coming back. So you guys, the simple message is if you want to be on this path that's going to get you where Jesus wants you to to be, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take diligence. Which means you have to figure out when you're going to study God's word. When are you going to pray? You have to figure out how can I get other things out. You actually have to use the diligence to turn the stinking phone off. Because Satan will have that Facebook notification. And you, oh, oh, and 20 minutes later. So we're being real here, okay? Turn the stinking phone off. If you really want to be with God uninterrupted, you got to do that. All right. Where was I? I really got off track here. All right, sorry about that. Okay. Be, okay, let's go to five through seven. I want to give you this process. And what time do we need to be done? Like nine minutes ago? Oh, okay, good. Okay, all right. Okay. Peter writes, for now, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. So, the starting point of your journey of character is your faith. Not the faith in God that you exercised 20 years ago when you became a Christian, but the faith in God that you must exercise every day of your life. Tomorrow morning, if you want to get on this journey... Start by saying, Jesus, I believe that your word is true. I believe that your promises are true. I believe that your Holy Spirit is in me like you promised. And today, I want to walk trusting that. When you start building your life on doing that every day, Now you've got something you can build on. When you forget that, you live your life like an atheist. 
By the way, there's a great book out called Christian Atheist. Have you seen that? It's about people who profess to be Christians, but they live as if they're an atheist. Something goes wrong. Ah, why me? Why have thou forsaken me? You know, and they just, you know, they just freak out. As if God never said anything about being with them. For heaven's sakes, get alive. Come on, let's, let's man and woman up. Walking by faith is believing the promises over what you feel, over what you see, over what you read in the newspaper. You know what? All it takes for me to blow my faith for the day is to get onto the Drudge Report. You know, and I look at that, and Drudge has a way of listing everything that's going wrong in the country on one page. I mean, it's amazing. And it gets me so angry and so worked up. Is that walking by faith? No. Give you a little secret. Jesus is still in control. Even though I'm not crazy what our president is doing, and I'm not, frankly, any crazier about the, what the Congress is doing, they're all kind of just out in la-la land. But you know what? Jesus is still in control. So you start with your faith. Now, picture now you're building a brick wall. What do you put on that foundation of faith? You put this thing, New American Standard calls it moral excellence. I think the NIV calls it virtue. Uh, Some uh, translations call it integrity. I want to give you my favorite definition of that word. It's a very difficult word to define. It's moral courage. Moral courage. It's the courage to do the right thing no matter what the cost. Coptic Christians had that moral courage when they did not deny Christ even though they were being beheaded. Moral courage is the courage to do the right thing at work when nobody's looking. Moral courage is the courage to say that hard thing to your friend, your wife, your husband, uh, your neighbor. Because you know it's what, God, they, what they need to hear. Moral courage is where you're willing to share the gospel with somebody even if it's going to cost you a friend. Moral courage is the desire to please God and not people. And this character quality is so important. It's what will set you free from the fear of man. And it will put you on the path of becoming the person God has created you to be all along. So you, you believe, you're believing in Jesus. Now, moral courage is the daily decision to obey Jesus, no matter what. Now, catch this. What's the next quality? Look in your Bibles. What's the next quality? Oh. Knowledge. Now, think of this. The relationship, it goes like this. Moral courage is the, desi- is the desire or the decision to do the right thing, no matter what. Knowledge is the knowledge of God's word that tells you what the right thing is. 
The next quality, self-control. I hate this one. Actually, I love it, but I hate the fact that I can't seem to develop it very well. Self-control is this wonderful ability or dis- uh, character quality that lets you say no to yourself so that you can say yes to God. Now, understand this. And if, if you're like me, you need to underline and circle self-control because that's my Achilles heel. That's the one that trips me up. Without self-control, God's word stays theoretically theoretical for the rest of your life. Now, let me illustrate. Uh, somebody brought up the great promise that the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? Peace, yeah. Do you know that's a conditional promise? That's not just a blanket promise. It's a conditional promise. What do you have to do for that promise to come into effect? Love God's law. Huh? Love God's law. No. Uh, okay, be, first you've got to make a decision to be anxious for nothing. And secondly... You have to, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So you have this wonderful promise. You know what? Thousands of Christians, millions of Christians, never experience that promise because they don't have the self-control to be obedient to the conditions. So self-control is what initializes that promise in your life. That will keep him in perfect peace. What's the second part of that? Whose mind is stayed on you. So why do some Christians have peace and some Christians don't? You know what it comes down to, quite frankly, is self-control. Boy, I wish, uh, again, I wish we could just stay there, but I want to I get you all the way through to the end so that you can come back and, and, and we'll talk about how, how you work this passage. Okay. The next quality. So we've had faith, Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, and now we come to perseverance. You guys, perseverance is gold. Perseverance is when your kid is going crazy and you want to give up and you want to quit on them. But you don't. You keep going. Perseverance is when you've been praying for somebody and nothing seems to happen, nothing seems to work, but you keep praying. Perseverance is is when you're going through a sickness and you just get one set of bad news after the other. You know how sickness, it's, it's like the waves of the sea. It doesn't just come in a one nice little package, does it? It's like wham, and then wham, and then wham, and then wham. You know, that's, that's the way life seems to come. And perseverance is that thing that when you're knocked down seven times, you get up eight. Because even after getting knocked down seven times, you know that Jesus still is saying, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Perseverance, you guys. It's what allowed our nation and other nations that were allied with us to defeat Nazi Germany in World War II. 
had friends. One of my one of my bucket list dreams is to go to Normandy. Man, I don't know what I would have done that day. But those guys were just facing odds that were ridiculous. And yet they kept pushing forward. They never quit. Perseverance is that golden quality that will probably do more than anything else to help you develop the character of Christ. You know, I go to the gym. I know you may not believe that, but I actually go to the gym. But I don't look like other guys who go to the gym. You know why? No perseverance. I'm tired. Okay, time to go home. I had a trainer once. I hated him. You know, he'd put more weight than I think I should handle on the, on the stupid dumb barbells. And I'm lifting and I do my 15 and I put it in. And what does he say? Give me five more. I'm tired. I don't care. Give me five more. And, and then I do that and then say, okay, I want another five. And I said, you know, I can't do it. Yes, you can. And he keeps pushing me until my muscles feel like shredded wheat. You know, they just, they just feel like they're falling off my body. And, and there's all of this, what do they call it, lactic acid that's in there? And it's burning up your muscles and you feel like, crumb, you know, oh, man, this is awful. But that's how you get stronger. You don't get stronger just by doing 15 little reps every day. You've got to do more than your body wants to do in order to break down so you can build up. And you guys, this is what perseverance does to our character. When you keep trusting God through trials, that's why I consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, what is that ugly word? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. After perseverance comes godliness. Godliness is when things really start getting exciting. <coughs> godliness is a very difficult word to, to define. It literally means God lean. In other words, somebody's just sort of leaning towards God. And what this word means is that at that point in life, you will naturally start doing the things from a standpoint of what brings glory to God. In other words, it's, it's not a little bracelet. What would Jesus do? Hmm, I need to think what will Jesus do? It'll be in you. And, and this is, you're, you're becoming a partake. At this point, you're becoming a partaker of the divine nature. You know, when I was 16 years old, uh, something happened. I answered the phone. And a guy got, the guy who was calling said, Harry. Well, Harry's my dad's name. I said, no, this is his son, Steve. And you know what he said? He said, you sound just like your father. Why? Because I had my dad's nature in me. 
And I wasn't, <clears throat> okay, how can I say my life? What would dad do? <clears throat> Hello? You know, I didn't have to do that. It, it was, and, and godliness is when you start talking, and people won't know to say this, but if they did know, they'd say, oh, you sound just like your father. You're responding to this situation just like your dad in heaven. You're, 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 you're talking just like Jesus would talk if he were in this situation. Godliness. Then after godliness comes brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is your ticket to greatness in, this, in the kingdom of heaven. It's the love of the family. That's what it is. It's family love. Philadelphia. It's family love that causes you to say, you first. How can I serve you? And again, it won't be, uh, you mean nobody picked up after the service and I've got to do it? No, it's, how can I serve? And brotherly kindness is when you start experiencing, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And then you go to the pinnacle of this whole wall, which is agape, love. And if I could give you a picture, when you put love on the top, and let's look at this now as a mountain, that's when the volcano explodes. And the volcano is not a bad volcano. It's a volcano of the impact of the kingdom of God coming out of your life. Because when you love people who hate you, when you love people who disappoint you, when you love people who hurt you, when you pray for those who despitefully use you, you are becoming a kingdom citizen that is going to have enormous impact in the world around you. That's when people start coming to you and they start asking you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Because your love will be supernatural and unexplainable by anything else other than God working inside of you. You guys, finding your place in the kingdom of God, finding what God wants you to do is not a matter of looking for a job. It's a matter of becoming who God has called you to become. Now, let me, I'm just going to take five minutes and go through what the benefits are. What do you reap when you do this? All right. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me flip those around for you. You are going to be useful. I love that. In 2 Timothy 2.22, there's a, a talks about who you'll become. And there's a little phrase that says, you will be useful to the master. How would you like Jesus up in heaven and he's talking about you and he says, you know, my child, Steve, Connie, Fred, June, whoever, she's useful to me. Would you like Jesus to be thinking of you in those terms? 
that, that you're the person he can count on. You're the person, hey, I, I want to get something done. That's the guy I want to use. That's the girl I want to use. So you'll be useful. You'll be fruitful. In other words, when I read fruitful, the word that I think of is influential. In other words, you will be expanding your influence. Third thing. Uh, next verse. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. So if you have these qualities, you will have clear vision. In other words, you guys, you will be able to see the world as God sees it. You will be able to see the next steps in your life as God sees them. And you know what's fun? I've, I've followed Jesus for a lot of years. And the most fun times are when I don't even know what the next step is going to be. Because I have to trust him. And even though I don't know what, I know who, and so I can have peace in those crazy times. And I've seen some people go through sickness with a bitter, complaining nature, and I've, I've seen other people go through it with the grace of God just radiating out of their lives. Which do you want to be? The next thing that you will be is you will be grateful. Notice he says, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You won't be a forgetful Christian. You will be a Christian who remembers all that God has done for you. And if you want to know a little secret, grateful people are happy people. Has nothing to do with the circumstances of life. It's this simple. Grateful people are happy people. Ungrateful people, people who have expectations, they think things should go a certain way for them, they are the most miserable people on the earth, even when things go their way. The next promise, we've got to hurry up, you will never stumble. You'll, what a promise. That as you're headed towards the finish line, God is promising you, you're going to break the line. You're not going to stumble. And by the way, that stumble, it doesn't mean you won't trip. We're all going to trip from time to time, right? But the never stumble means that when you trip, you're going to get up and keep going. And then finally, this abundant entrance into the kingdom, this is meaning that when you stand before Jesus in front of all of the believers who have ever walked the face of the earth, he's going to look at you as an individual. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Could you imagine the, the creator of the universe? I mean, how many billions of people have lived on this earth? And he's going to look at you as an individual and he's going to say, I'm proud of you. Good job. Come on in, let's party. That's my translation, but you get the idea. Let me, just, let me just help you real quick. I'm sorry, going a little long, but what do you do with this passage? Number one, if you want this, pa you know what I'm going to say. If you want this passage to change your life, number one, memorize it. I can't. Liars. You know you can't. You, some of you are thinking, oh, this is going to take two months. Who cares? 
I always laugh at people like if a woman's 40 and, and uh, she, somebody says, oh, you ought to go back to college. She says, oh, I'll be 44 when I'm done. Well, you'll be 44 in four years anyway. <laughs> so you can choose either to be 44 with a degree or 44 in the same place you are now. We, we, you know, we think stupid things, don't we? So if it takes you two months to memorize this passage, who cares? In two months, you will have committed a passage that will change and guide your life for the rest of your days. And you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. So that's step one. Step two. Evaluate your life in light of these eight character qualities. Actually, nine if you throw in diligence. Honestly sit down and ask yourself, am I exhibiting diligence in my growth in Christ? If you're like 90% of the Christians in America, you may have to answer no. Second question, what would it look like this week if I were diligent in my walk with Christ. And you, you know what? You'll know the answer. It's really, this is not brain surgery. But, and, and okay, step three. Remember the old Nike commercial? Just do it. All right? And then at the end of that week, you're going to be actually quite a few steps because you, you make some great progress at the beginning. It's really fun. You'll, you'll be further in your journey of laying hold of the reason you were laid hold of by Christ. Okay, how am I doing in moral excellence? And you may come to the conclusion, wow, I really feel people, fear people. What do you do? You take that character quality and you turn it back into your prayer. God, give me the, the courage to fear you over anybody else. And then you just, again, what would it look like in my life if I had moral courage? And then you just start you just do it. And you do it till it becomes natural. Then you go to the next one. Then you go to the next one. Then you go to the next one. And you just build up right through. And then the cool thing is once you get to the end of those things, it's time to go back and start over and to take those things at a different level. So in my life, probably, oh my gosh, 25 times since I was 16, I've gone through the process of specifically and intentionally working through those character qualities to make sure that they're growing because he says if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So you don't just get them and then you're done. You keep building them as you go through. Does that make sense? All right. Well, I hope this has been helpful. And I, I just, I really want, if, if you ever have any questions, feel free to email me or anything or just but I just long to see you pressing on, having that passion and that, that diligence to be pushing forward, not to fix your life so it's comfortable, but to push on to become the person that Jesus has created you to be. So, Father, help us to grab a hold of this. And, Lord, I, I pray that we would be courageous Christians, and that we'd be passionate Christians, and that you would use this church to explode in this valley, to fill this valley with the teaching of Jesus so that not just hundreds, but thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus. 
We ask these things in his blessed name. Amen.